what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Welcome to Street Circle Drive here on the Mesh Podcast Network. Street Circle Drive, if you've never listened before, is your North Carolina-centric podcast for people who love Hickory, North Carolina. I'm your host today, Andrew Moose. We couldn't do this podcast without you, and we sincerely do appreciate you tuning in today. Once you've listened to this podcast, we'd appreciate it if you'd head over to TheMesh.TV and subscribe to this show and all the other ones on our network so that you can get these episodes dropped directly to you whenever we release them. So today on Street Circle Drive, we have a very, very special guest, my friend... Please welcome Miss Rebecca Hart, the Executive Director of Hart Square. What's going on, Rebecca? Oh, such a generous introduction. Oh, Thanks. you know. I get to be called a friend. I feel great about that. For sure. Well, Way any, better than Executive Director. For sure. <laughs> um, any Executive Director who brings brings me beer and we get to drink on the podcast <laughs> is a friend of mine. I just brought um, <laughs> Andrew Moose a little bit of the Cabin Fever Ale, which is made by Old Hickory Brewery. Um, Old Hickory Brewery has been a partner for about three years. Uh, Stephen Lyerly, um, I don't know if many of you guys know this in the community. It's a wonderful um, historian. And he made this beer out at Hart Square on our grist mill dated 1760, the oldest cabin in our village. And we ground up the corn. We used some sourgum molasses, some wheat. And here we have it. Wonderful beverage to enjoy that supports the square. It's awesome. It is an absolutely great beverage, and I'm so happy that you brought it today. Um, after the past couple of weeks, everybody needs some good cabin fever beer. So thanks to the guys at Old Hickory for making that. It's delicious. So um, to the subject at hand, uh, for those that might not be familiar with Heart Square, um, first of all, where have you been? And um, tell us a little bit about it. Um, sure. For, for those that might not know a thing. So Hart Square Village is the nation's largest collection of historic log cabins. So when I say that, a lot of people, they sort of envision these places they've visited, like Sturbridge Village, maybe up north, or Old Salem here in North Carolina. And um, those are fairly accurate depictions, but we are actually even a little bit bigger than both of those in terms of the number of structures we have. We have nearly 100 structures from the 17 and 1800s. And what makes Heart Square so special and unique is actually when you walk into each of these buildings, which are set up in the form of a village. So we've got blacksmith shops, churches, woodwrights, printing presses, and homes. When you go in, the whole purpose is it's meant to feel like that craftsperson or that family member just stepped up moments prior and walked out. So when you go in our museum, there are no glass cases. There are no ropes up. It's just a truly authentic experience to interact. Um, it's very different than any other museum you'll ever visit. So, Rebecca, you have a few events out there every single year. You have your festival, mm-hmm. and you have a multitude of children that you that typically come through every single year to, to visit and watch your demonstrators at your facility. Um, so... Tell us a little bit about uh, the, the festival that you guys have. And you, it just happened back in October. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, COVID had uh, probably dampened that a, a, a little. But uh, on a normal year, let's, let's talk a little bit about that festival and, um, and what that looks like. Sure. So our annual festival is always the fourth Saturday of October. And for those of you who have been wanting to come, 
We are putting the tickets on sale online, usually in January or February, so don't worry, you won't miss out. Um, it's a great event because it really uh, it really showcases the artistry in the Southeast. And I say the Southeast because not every one of our artists is from Catawba County. We bring in over a hundred different demonstrators to show us the traditional ways of molasses making, lace making, butter churning, cotton ginning. And some of these things are are truly lost arts. Um, They are things that you will never really see anywhere else. And so it's a very special day. It's also our annual fundraiser. And I really love the fact that our annual fundraiser is bringing the village to life. It is about teaching. It is about education. It is one of the most educational events you can bring your family to because, you know, you can see so many things in one day. And it really feels like you are genuinely stepping back in time. That is something that kids today and even us as adults are are don't don't necessarily get to see hardly at all it is things from our past that are still being uh, preserved and able to being be showcased to the community i think it's absolutely fantastic what you guys do um what what are your needs right now? I, and I know we, we talked a little bit offline, but, you know, I kind of like to get down to like the nitty gritty. And I, and I know that, um, you know, you, you said that, you know, basically COVID has, has really taken a toll on fundraising efforts and things like that. So um, let's talk about how we can help. You know, okay. what, what, what can what can our listeners do to help? Um, first of all, I guess come to the Christmas festival, right? <laughs> yeah. So our next upcoming event is Christmas in the Village, with a, which is uh, December 4th and 5th. And that's really a, a miniature festival focused on the crafts and trades of Christmas. So we have chestnut roasting on an open fire. We have stocking sewing. We have corn husk ornament making. You hear these beautiful Christmas songs being sung from our little log church with a fire going in the back. It's it's truly a um, pioneer Christmas experience, and everyone's dressed in traditional outfits, and there's just a really beautiful um, thing about being in a space that's 200 acres with no light pollution, no sound pollution, and you can really experience what it would have been like to to walk with your family to church or to a neighbor's house for dinner. So it's a great thing. Um, you know, COVID's been really strange for us. We've been able to have the festival and the Christmas events, but my favorite part of our programming is the field trips. I love doing the field trips, and we started that about four or five years ago, and it went from just being a couple hundred kids to now being just over 3,000 students. Um, You know, we serve students from this county, the surrounding counties, and um, last year, 60% of our students were from Title I schools, which means most of them are on the free or reduced lunch program, so um, they might not take a lot of field trips a year, so we try to make it really, really special. Um, So for us, uh, this expansion with field trips is really where our biggest need is. Um, We decided once they started expanding and we realized, gosh, our site is so historic that we literally don't have handicapped bathrooms. We don't have pathways that you can walk on. We don't have a way to serve all the children that deserve to be served. So we came up with the idea for the education center. 
and we are just in the process of completing it. We are just working with the county to bring water to us, which will happen in the next couple of weeks, months. And um, just fully funding that project right now is our biggest need because once 2021 hits, opening that up to the community to use as a resource is going to be completely transformational for our site. When when the kids come through uh, your your village, what what do you what kind of reactions do they have? You know, is, is it holy cow? Is it this this is any obviously this isn't like anything they've ever seen before, but I'd like to hear, like, you know, what, what, what's the, from the mouths of babes, if you will, like, what are they saying? It depends on the school. So when we had, um, Hickory day school come out here, you know, they, I heard a lot of, wow, people lived like this. This is wild. I, I can't believe people lived like this. No running water, no electricity, no Walmart. And then I had a group of kids from Burke County come out who said, wow, this is the biggest house I've ever seen when they're looking at one of our three-story cabins. And I would love to live in a house like that. Um, so I think it's important to realize that every child that visits has their own background. Um, they all bring their own um, stories to the table when they're interacting with the village. And so it's really important to to keep it historical and to try to let them relate. Don't relate for them. And so that's been a a nice thing to learn. And when they see the artists at work, all of them have the same reaction. There's not as much of a um, disbursement of reactions. It's, it's, wow, there's a fire. Look at that blacksmith. I mean, they're just, you know, enamored by that, but also they've never seen someone work on an open flame that close to them and they can feel the heat of the fire. And um, you know, they think that that person's a superstar. They ask for their autographs. Like our Native American storyteller, he literally starts a fire in his hands while he is talking to the kids and shows them how to use flint. He can literally whittle an arrow within two minutes, and they're just amazed at these skills. Yeah, and, you know, these skills that the demonstrators have, you know, unfortunately, we've talked a little bit about offline about this, is that, you know, these skills are diminishing with and not their personal skills, of course, are not diminishing, but the amount of people that know how to that know how to use these skills are diminishing. And what you guys are doing is keeping that in the forefront, keeping that on top of mind for some folks that might not necessarily have even considered, you know, learning how to do these things. So, you know, what do you think is the most important thing that folks learn when they come Uh, to your village? So I think, um, you know, I don't expect every kid to go off and say, mom, dad, I want to be a blacksmith. (laughs) I want to learn how to put together brooms for a living. Right. Like I don't, I don't expect that. What, what I do expect is that through observing someone working with their hands, that they can be inspired to know that they too can create something for themselves and have a sense of pride in that object and that process. And, um, you know, I really remember talking with Kim Ellington, one of our potters about this. And he said, the most important thing about teaching a child, um, a historic craft or trade is that they go through the process of failure. So when you're making a piece of pottery out of clay, 
you are using your hands and you can create something and then you can put it into the kiln and it doesn't really look the way you thought it was going to look. And, um, that experience of failure and then sitting back down at the wheel the next day to do that piece, um, it, it's a wonderful life experience because so many of these, of these people in our world, they grow up and they don't run into failure and they have no strategies for how to deal with it when they're 40 or 50. And if we can teach people to keep coming back and trying and using these skills, that's what self-reliance is. And that's what American history is based on. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Right. I completely agree with you. And it's the uh, the resiliency of America is what's going to get us through these times we're living through right now, if you want to be very, very honest and very prescient about the situation. But um, the... The demonstrators that you have, you know, they range from blacksmiths to candle makers to potters to, to, to all these things. And, you know, what I think is is just unbelievable is that these folks, no matter how far that we've come as a society, that they are still preserving this. And they're still showing folks the traditional way of craftsmen, crafting things and 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 all that good stuff. So it's, um, it, it's amazing to me because as easy it is to look up a YouTube video, to learn how to do something, it does not take the place of actually sitting beside someone and learning and learning how to build a fire by hand, learning how to make a horseshoe over open fire. You know, that's got to open up some minds, uh, hearts and minds when those kids come through. Absolutely. I think that, there's so much that can be learned through the process of problem solving um, that kids don't get outside of a tech world. You know, we were talking earlier, like with COVID, all of these kids are doing online instruction. And I think that there's been major strides there. But I also do agree with you that there are certain things that really cannot be taught in an online format. And it goes back to that thing about about failure is you can curve your failures into successes sometimes like, um, you know, Eddie Hamrick, he's a woodwright I've worked with, with building, um, violins. And he taught me, you know, certain ways, like if you accidentally scrape out that concave part of the violin a little too much, there are ways to sort of remedy that, but you wouldn't know that watching a video, you'd just be like, Oh man, I messed that up. But if you had your teacher right there with you, they would say, well, if that ever happens, you need to do this, this, and this. And I think um, there's so much value in learning those little tiny fixes. Right. And it, and it, it shows and it teaches folks how to, you know, it goes back to resiliency and, and learning how to be self-sufficient. Um, you know, and I think that we're and we're so guilty of that in in having technology basically remedy all of our problems. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, having those folks that are able to you know to not necessarily have to re- rely on technology is just absolutely mind blowing to me. Because as reliant as I am on technology for all the things that I do, sitting here as a producer of a podcast network. <laughs> Um, it's, it's amazing to see that those skills are still 
are still able to be done and 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 it's it's it, it blows my mind every time I think about it um so it, on straight circle drive we always have a food segment we always either talk uh-huh. about uh, local restaurants or uh places that we've uh, especially during covid the the best takeout spots I'd love to talk to you about the food and the beer and everything else that comes out of Heart Square. So let's talk a little <laughs> bit about that. Okay. Well, I think for most people, it might be a little strange, some of the stuff that we <laughs> do out there. But, um, you know, I think that we, on our on our festival day, normally we have the Catawba Valley Cooking Guild. And they do a wonderful job of really bringing to life that history in our tavern cabin, um, all the different things that would have been made back then. I think that we assume there was no variety back then, but really there, you know, there was a strong cultural heritage to food. That was a way to keep your heritage alive. So if you were a German immigrant, that was something that was very important to you, your music, your food, um, same with Irish, uh, same with even, you know, the Native American cultures. And I think, um, you know, we try to do a good job of representing all of those on our festival day. Um, and then, of course, you know, for the Christmas event, the chestnuts are just a huge hit. And it 100% is credited to the song. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everyone hears about these roasted chestnuts, but most people have never had one. So if you're going to have a food item at Heart Square, that's the one to have. Right on. Mm-hmm. Um, I... Guilty as charged, I've never had a roasted chestnut. <laughs> what what do they taste like? Honestly, they they taste very um, buttery in a lot of ways. They taste a lot like a, a pecan, um, but they also taste kind of like a mix of the Brazil nuts. They're a little heartier than a pecan. They're not as, as soft. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's good to know. That's good to know. Because you, you hear the song, you're like, oh, I don't know. Is, are they good? Who knows? Yeah. You got to right get on. over the creepy factor first <laughs> before you decide to try them. Are they that's safe? Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll I t- I tell you what. I'd like to also just take a second to uh, thank our sponsor, Time Genies. Um, if you and your business are in need of top-to-bottom cleaning or organizing or just someone to make your life just a little bit easier, head over to time-genies.com to find out more. Uh, Karen and her team are fantastic. Our studio and offices use Time Genies, and we really couldn't be happier. So uh, check them out. Give them a call. They can help you with just about anything. So, um, Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on Street Server Rob again. We really appreciate it. Um, we ask all of our, our guests this, this question, and um, it's, it's called our magic wand question. Oh. Um, so do, do I it, get one? You do get a magic wand for oh, this segment. Yes. So, Rebecca, I hand you a magic wand. And Thank you. you you're welcome. Anytime. I <laughs> uh, just would like it back at some point. Um, tell, tell me what you would do if you did have a magic wand uh, in regards to uh, Art Square. Hmm. I love that question. Thank That's you. such a good question. I actually was thinking about that because I someone told me that this would be asked on mm-hmm. this podcast and that I could potentially take this wand home. You do, so yes. I, um, so I, I thought about this and, and when I was walking around yesterday, um, I thought about, I wish that I could go back in time and interview every family that lived in each of the cabins, because all I have on them is written history and a lot of written history 
excludes things. You know, it includes sure. marriages, deaths, births. It, it might, you know, someone might've written down grandma's bread recipe, but I really wish that I could have, um, firsthand accounts of what these people did on a daily basis and what songs they sang in their living room and what kind of prayers they had over dinner. And, um, I feel like a lot of that has been lost. Right. So you're basically, you want a time machine. Yeah, basically. I want a time machine. <laughs> Screw the magic wand. Yeah, Give right me a time on, machine. No well, yeah. it's, it can be multi-use. It can be multi-use. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to take my wand back then. All right. So, you know, you mentioned music and you and I both, we play music out in Hickory yeah. and the surrounding areas. Um, talk, let's talk a little bit about the influence in music at your, at your, um, at your spot because I, I know mm-hmm. traditional music is very important to you. So how is music incorporated at, at Heart Square? I think that's a great question. It's um it's a multi-generational thing actually. So my grandfather, Dr. Bob, who started Heart Square, uh, was a banjo player. And he, my grandmother was a professionally trained musician and upright bass player. Um, and when they started Heart Square Festival 35 years ago, um, the bands were a huge part of it. It was a really the big part of the energy. Um, the Sigmund Stringers, they were there the very first year, and their third generation, who's around my age, still plays at the festival, which is really precious. And, um, you know, I, I met a few years ago David Holt, who's an ethnomusicologist, and he shared with me that he actually came to Heart Square Festival to uh, collect songs and meet musicians who were preserving this heritage and that was so special to me he ended up being a very good friend of my grandfather's and now is a friend of heart square um and i i think that a lot of people like that wayne erbson from Asheville, who also is a massive preservationist and just a i mean amazing musician um, who's working hard to keep our music alive. All our participants, the Cockman family band, who is an award-winning heritage. heritage. Yes, heritage winners of gospel and bluegrass, um, you know, ha- have been, God, I don't even know how many generations they have. They have so many Cockmans now. There's like 20 mm-hmm. of them. And it's just really special um, to bring that to life out there. And I hope we can do more with that moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, that that that's that's fantastic. Um, you know, music is you know transcends generations because the same mm-hmm. music that those folks were playing when they were living in those cabins out there, or you know, or that music is still being played today. Is yeah. and the influences have, are still being taken from 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 all those players from you know back in the eighteen hundreds. I think that's just just absolutely fantastic. So, uh, Rebecca, if our listeners want to find out more about Heart Square, how to donate to Heart Square, how to buy tickets and all that good stuff, <laughs> how can they how can they do that? Sure. So we have a website that's very easy to remember. It's just heartsquare dot com, and that's H A R T. Um, on that website, you can find tickets, you can find ways to donate. Um, you can find a little information about our founder and about what we do. Um, we also have a Facebook page that we're fairly active on and Instagram. Nice. Yeah. And so the Christmas festival is coming up very, very soon. It is. It is. Um, all the information is about that on there as well, I'm sure. Yes. And I am really excited about that event just because it's been something we've been able to grow year over year. And, um, just have a lot new, a lot of new artisans in that event this year. We've got um, a spoon carver, a blacksmith, a weaver, 
obviously the chestnuts. We've got um, a tavern cooker. We have an organist, cornest angels, um, and probably a lot of other stuff I'm forgetting. But it really is a got a lot of stuff going on that day. Awesome, mm-hmm. awesome. Um, well, you know, we also talk about other events going on here on Street Circle Drive, and I would also like to you know encourage everyone to go check out the Downtown Hickory. Uh, Facebook pages and, and all that good stuff. There's some good holiday events coming up there as well. Um, obviously, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, there's a, not a lot of public events going on, but there are a select few. So uh, if you are just dying to get out of the house, make sure you do mask up and check out some of these uh, events that are happening around our area. So, uh, Rebecca, thank you so much for coming. It was absolutely. great to have you. <laughs> um, absolutely. And once uh, you guys go head over to the heart square website, make sure you buy tickets for the festival because they do sell out super quick mm-hmm. and, and all that good stuff. So um, again, this has been street circle drive here on the mesh. been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.